Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. On the show today is Rahaf Hafu. She is a strategist, digital anthropologist, and a New York Times bestselling author who focuses on the intersections between emerging technology, innovation, and digital culture. Rahaf, it is a pleasure to finally get you on the show. We've been talking about doing this for months and months and months. So thank you for squeezing me in. I'm delighted to be here. You have a section in your book. I think the subtitle of the chapter is Nice to Meet You. What do you do? So on that topic, nice to meet you. What do you do? (laughs) I am a researcher and digital anthropologist. I like to study how technology is impacting our culture and how it's changing the way that we exist in the world as citizens, as parents, as, as spouses, as partners, as siblings. And it's a pretty fun time to do all of that because I'm finding that technology is just integrating into every single aspect of our daily lives. And I've just finished reading Hustle and Float, which I highly recommend to everyone. But before we get into today's topic, can you give a short summary of what drove you to writing it? And I guess a summary of what people can expect when reading it? Sure. So Hustle and Float is the result of a three-year research project that I did uh, that started because I myself personally experienced a quite traumatic episode of burnout and got really confused as to why this had happened because I knew all of the things that I was supposed to be doing, like resting and sleeping and yoga and taking breaks. And uh, yet I didn't do it and I wasn't doing it. And so my question uh, wasn't, what could I do to work better? It was, why wasn't I? I doing the things that I was supposed to do. And it was trying to understand why high-performing creative professionals often do things that fly in the face of their best interests. And the results of that, trying to answer that question, took me on a journey that unpackaged the historical, biological, and social implications of how we started thinking about work and creativity. And people that pick up this book, they will just find the story our collective story of how we got here, of why work is so important, of why we're so obsessed with productivity, about why hustle culture has become such a big part of our identities. And uh, it's a really complex story. And I like to say that Hustle and Float is the first book that looks at it holistically. And it includes interviews with creatives and CEOs, and it includes the latest research from neurologists and psychologists and historians. And it's a guide to just helping to explain why we sometimes don't do what we think we should do. In the book, you refer to yourself a few times as a productive creative. So what is a productive creative and how can people become that? Well, it's funny. Creativity is actually one of those words that gets a big response out of people. Many people actually don't associate themselves or don't think of themselves as creative. But I believe that especially, and this is a book, to be clear, that was written for knowledge workers. So people that have jobs where they are problem solving, strategizing, working with clients, collaborating. And when you ask people, what do you think a creative worker does? Many people will say, oh, writing or painting, some of the traditional ways of creativity. But I present an alternative and expanded definition that if you are in a job where you are doing 
non-standardized tasks, meaning you're fixing things, you're researching, you're learning, you're collaborating, you're working with others, you're trying to spot opportunities, that is inherently a creative task. So the majority of people today are creative workers, but because we live in an industry of like output and deliverables, we are productive creatives, meaning our creativity has to generate tangible, quantifiable products or services or results for our businesses. And I wanted to make that distinction so that people understood I'm an accountant. I'm not a creative. It's like, no, you're an accountant. You're a creative. Lawyers, researchers, insurance salesmen, marketing professionals, entrepreneurs, we're all creative. We're all out there using our brains to innovate and to solve problems. And a creative accountant is not to be confused with creative accounting. I kind of realized that many people don't understand the cycle of their creativity. Our society is obsessed with flow, which is when you're in the zone and when time seems to melt away and you're really focused and it seems the work coming out of you, whether it's writing or programming or researching, just feels effortless. And what many people don't realize is that before you get into flow, there's a lot of other steps, right? You have to often like think about what you want to do. You have to like prepare yourself mentally. You have to start. You have to struggle a little bit before you get into that. And we assume that we can maintain flow for all the amount of hours that we're working. So there's some people that think, oh, in an eight hour day, I should be able to be in flow for like 95% of the time. And that's just not possible. Flow is not a limitless state. And so what's funny is that this cycle, which has been proven by neurologists, it rises and falls. You need time to recover before it rises again. That cyclical model is very much at odds with all of the productivity systems that we put into place, things like time tracking that only measure continuous output. So in your day-to-day, when you look at your to-do list, when you look at your time tracking, when you look at your calendar, you're not actually accounting for this rise and flow. You're just saying, I got to hustle. I got to work at the same speed, the same intensity, the same output all day long. Well, that's just not how our brains work. What we know is that you can maintain what's called optimal performance or peak performance for a certain amount of time. And here's the thing, that amount of time varies person by person. So you, you might be able to hold that optimal performance state for 90 minutes. Let's just say you can be in the zone for 90 minutes and you are like in it. Somebody else, like say me, I might only be able to hold that optimal flow for 30 minutes. There's no right or wrong. It's not about longer or harder or as many. It's just about what your cycle is. But once you hit that end point, you need to stop. You need to recover. You need to replenish before you can go again. This is really interesting because, again, you have standardized productivity solutions, people that tell you hustle this way, get up this way, do it this way, do it in this order, structure your calendar this way. But in actuality, your own creative cycle is quite unique to you. And the work that I'm doing right now is I'm actually, I've asked a whole different number of people in different jobs to measure their cycle because I wanted to understand how my cycle is different from their cycles. I have a friend whose optimal cycle is 10 minutes. They work on tasks for 10 minutes then they stop for five and then 10 minutes and then they stop for five. Mine's about an hour. So I work for an hour and then I need to stop for 10, 15 minutes. And then I work for an hour and then I work for, you know. And so the the, the difference is, is like the productivity solutions that you would suggest wouldn't work for both of us. 
right? Pomodoro is too long for her and too short for me. And yet Pomodoro is like, oh, well, everyone should just do 25 minutes. So to make it concise, it's that people are focusing on um, not paying attention to the cyclical aspect and then not paying attention to the fact that their own cycle differs from person to person. Our society has just sort of become so focused on outputs. And to be clear, that's not saying that outputs aren't important. And it's funny because often the first point of resistance that I hear whenever I talk about hustle and float is people saying, well, you have to work hard. And I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't go out there and push your limits, try your best and try to exceed what you think you can do. All I'm saying is you can't work hard nonstop all the time forever working hard is only a part of the equation. And it's the part of the equation that's the most visible. So it's the one that people focus on, especially once you read the book. And I hope you read the book because of all of our very complicated history. So if you're just so focused on output, you kind of miss the whole point. And let me ask you a question. When you are working on a problem, right, there's the part of you that's actively has to say, like, solve it. But when you're working on a problem, aren't you also thinking about it before you get to the solving part? Isn't there also a period of time, maybe when you're like at home or when you're walking your dog? Tell me about the times when you actually just give yourself the opportunity to just like think about the problem before you get to the fixing part. When do you do your best thinking? Depends. But the answer to the question is I go for a daily walk and my daily walk is usually split. I would say, if I'm honest, 75-25. 75% of that time is spent listening to podcasts or audiobooks. Um, and I always make sure 25% is headphones out listening to nature. And in that time, listening to nature is usually when the ideas are popping up, etc. Why do I do that? Two reasons. One, I want to be connected to nature and that helps with my sense of spirituality. And two is I know enough about the brain to know that if I don't do that, my default mode network has no opportunity to kick in anyway. So I'm purposely doing that. That is the perfect answer. So when I've asked other people, they have said on my commute, when I'm in the shower, when I'm washing the dishes, when I'm playing or walking my dog, when I'm working out, the theme there is you'll see most people don't say, oh, what I've been sitting at my computer for eight hours straight. And yet productivity culture says, no, you should stay, you should get that 16 hour day. And then from the digital anthropology perspective, our current reality is one where we're being stimulated 24 seven. You're on a walk, you can be listening to a podcast in the car, like you can have content streamed to your brain 24 seven. People are consuming all of this high quality content, but they're not actually giving themselves the time to just quietly absorb it, integrate it, think about it, reflect on it. So I have a friend who's like constantly reading, constantly listening to audiobooks, constantly listening to podcasts. And finally, I was like, okay, but you need to give yourself at least like half an hour at some point to just stop and think about all the stuff that you've read. And so again, from that cycle perspective, you can't just have stimulation constantly if you want to be creative and drown yourself out to such a point that you never give your own quiet voice a chance to pause and to say, huh, you know what? I read these three interesting books. I listened to Dan's podcast and there's something he said in that one episode. I'm just going to think about it because I actually think it's incredibly relevant to this project I'm working on now. Instead, we're just like next episode, next episode, next book, because we've been conditioned that if we're not constantly doing something, that it's a waste of time. And for creatives, that is just a death sentence. So you said that your book took you three years. So is that because you were practicing what you preach? 
on and off. Yeah. Like what was funny is a big part of hustle and float is the internal narrative that we told ourselves. I talk a lot about resistance in the book, but I encountered that resistance myself while writing it. I would read something like maybe we shouldn't be working so hard. And it would be like, no, of course you need to work hard. And of course you need to hustle. And of course, like I, I brought my own resistance. And that's why I think it's really important not just to teach people the facts, because if you have a belief system, I can give you boxes of facts and it's not going to matter. It's to give people the tools so they can go explore, give them questions to ask themselves so they can go explore. Many people just don't put this time or don't live this way or don't work this way, not because they're not smart enough. It's just because they haven't spent the time developing this skill. Because if you in your heart believe that if you work hard enough, you will be successful. And that if you're not successful, it's because you're not working hard enough, then no amount of facts or studies is going to convince you because you're going to feel in your heart that you're not doing enough. And the only way to talk to your heart is to unpackage that narrative, shine a light on it, and then ask yourself, is this a narrative that I still want to move forward with? Is this narrative actually helping me produce my best work? Or is this narrative the reason why I'm exhausted, the reason why I'm burning out, the reason why I feel like my life isn't in balance? Because if you're happy with the way that you're working, more power to you. If you're not tired, not exhausted, if you feel on top of it, if you feel in your game, do it. But the majority of people, according to the World Health Organization and the study they did in 2019, the majority of people are experiencing burnout. And burnout has become identified as a, as a workplace hazard. I can't fix it for you. You have to want to be willing to fix it. And to fix it, you have to pop open that hood and start asking some really uncomfortable questions. Why don't you give us some guidance on how to start to get good creative work done? Put time in your calendar where you prioritize thinking. Put time in your calendar where you prioritize restorative or what I call intentional recovery. This isn't something that you just do at the end of the workday or on the weekend. This has to be punctuated in your day. So you need to rethink about your tasks and rethink your day in terms of energy depletion and energy charging. So instead of saying, I'm going to work nine to five and then take a break, you might say, I'm going to work from nine to 1030 on a really intense task and then take half an hour and go for a walk or half an hour and do admin stuff or half an hour where I'm just going to sit and stare at a wall. How are you going to keep recharging your batteries so that you keep producing the best and highest level of work? And to do that, you need float and you need rest and you need recharging in order to get to flow. Amazing. Rahab, thank you so much for joining on today's episode. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So, for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week. Thank you.